Pam Ochoa, I have a question for you today, and my question is a special question, which is, who would you love to speak on the podcast to? If you could pick anyone to bring on the show, who would you want to talk to today? Well, I think it would be Laura Robb. One of the reasons is because Laura made a difference in my life in 2000 when I was moved from high school to middle school. And so the first book I picked up to figure out what to do was her uh, her book on teaching reading in the middle school. And it helped me formulate the way I did my workshop. Well, and you're you're in luck because Laura Rob is on the podcast today. Hi, we, are, we are so happy to be here. Uh, and, and I'm thrilled that the book helped you, Pam. Oh, it did. That's what we want. We the book. Every book is a babe is our baby, and we want them to, you know, get into the hands of people who understand and and learn from them. So I thank you. Well, I, it's you know not everybody gets an opportunity to say thank you to somebody that mentored them, even yeah, especially if it's through book form. And so uh, I want to I want to take this time to thank you, my dad. I've, I've been having to take care of my my parents. They they got sick with with COVID. And so my dad, who's a great, all my, both of my parents are educators. So I just want to honor them for that. And then, uh, but my dad's a basketball coach. And so he goes, now, who are you talking to tonight? (laughs) And I said, (laughs) I said, so I was like, who could I, and I said, well, it's like, uh, uh, Coach Wooten in basketball. So I compared you to Coach Wooten. That's great. That's <laughs> and he great. goes, oh, she must be big deal. <laughs> she is. And she's one of my heroes. Well, thank you. Here's what I, you know, we, we brought you on because, one, you know, we're both fans. You know, I... You've you've changed my teaching just as much as uh, as Ochoa's, and you're you're a legend in our eyes. And we know wow. that you've been hard at work thinking about uh, you know writing and how writing is is kind of taking a back seat in so many areas of of teaching and schooling. And we we just kind of wanted to dive into this because Pam and I are both. We, we love the writing process and we love approaching writing as a process in our classroom. And uh, we know that you're hard at work on a book. So what what are you seeing that's making you interested in, in really uh, bringing forth this conversation again into uh, the dialogue with every all with educators? Every what is it that you're li- that you're, I guess, not seeing in writing that's happening? Yes. Well, I, I'm not seeing children. write, <laughs> And I'm not seeing choice. Uh, and I'm seeing teachers who um, are, are very uncomfortable with teaching writing, with letting kids write and find their own voice and what they want to write about. Um, and so what I'm seeing are prompts. I'm seeing some people who, uh, educators who I admired greatly, come out with um what I call scripted kinds of writing lessons. And I've, I've seen them in the school that I've been working in uh, until COVID. Uh, I've been working with fifth and sixth graders who come into school uh, with absolutely no writing uh, at all. And they're reading on a kindergarten first or some second grade level. And then they're put into this unit of study and asked to write a piece on social justice because that's the topic, one of the topics for sixth grade. And uh, they have, they can't, they don't even know what writing process means. They don't know what it looks like. They, ha- If you have no experience writing, uh, you've never even 
observed someone show you the process or collaborate. I, I, I'm really big on collaborating to write things together. And that's how, that's how I brought those kids along that, you know, I would, we would talk about a story and, and they would help uh, come up with ideas and together they would dictate it and we would revise it and we would go back and look at, you know, char- the characters, were they different how could they make them different? We just, it, we would spend weeks and they loved it. They absolutely loved it. And I did all the writing like that with this group. But my feeling is when somebody doesn't understand how a genre works, you go back to that collaborative writing. Um, and so that they are sharing the pen with you and they're observing the process and they're experiencing success. Um, and you see the lights go on uh, for at different points for, for different children. So, you know, there, there's no writing. And I can tell you a story, both of you. Um, it was interesting to me that when Lucy Calkins' book came out, The Art of Teaching Writing, in mm-hmm. pockets around the country and in the school I was teaching in, there were writing workshop just took off. I remember working with Carol Chapman, a second grade teacher in the school, and uh, I was going in and she had her workshop from about uh, 1.45 to 3 and then the kids had to pack up and they didn't want to pack up. They said they're just staying and writing and I knew when that happened what what a powerful force writing is. And you know what's interesting, uh, Jacob and Pan? Children write and feel empowered to write before they read. Anne Haas Dyson did a lot of research on that many years ago. Now, their writing could be scribbles or pictures or a few letters, but they know what it says. They can tell you what the meaning is. And that desire to write, to communicate, I think it's it's part of who we are. And what happens is we totally you know, deny it <laughs> in education and we, and children lose it. They lose that desire to experiment, to try things. And, you know, we give them things that upset me very much, like a piece of paper where, uh, you know, you have about 10 lines and that's what you write on. Or uh, it, it doesn't work that way. You know, you write what you have to say. And I don't know how many lines it'll take. Uh, my grandson, when he was uh, in second grade, my daughter called me because they got an assignment to write three sentences about a book they were reading. And my daughter called and she said, Mom, Lucas is so smart, but he won't write more than three sentences. Come down. So I came down. Just I was so curious. And uh, I said, OK, Lucas, tell me what happened. He said, the teacher said, write three sentences. I wrote three sentences. Um, And I said, yeah, but mom says that when you talk about the book, you could write pages. He said, you don't get it, grandma. She said three sentences. That's all I'm doing. I'm going to go back and read my book. (laughs) And, you know, yeah. And so the kids are so honest about these this kind of teaching and the other thing that bothers me is when you organize the writing space for kids i want them to learn how to organize a piece of paper and you know they they just don't know how to do that because they haven't been given that freedom you know 
I, I look at writing like uh, the communication, the free spirit part of, of our souls, the need to communicate. You know, when you ask me about the writing life, the writing life, I think uh, children are born wanting to communicate. They communicate verbally. They com- communicate on paper. It's very natural for them to write, but using a different sign system than we are using when we write. Um, and what happens is it's like we take away their curiosity. We take away that desire to have a writing life. And a writing life doesn't mean that everybody's going to be publishing books. It means that you have the opportunity to tell your stories, to find what you want to say about yourself. And when we give kids prompts or the starting sentence, we take away that right, that's a powerful right, to find out who we are and to learn uh, because like writing is like an adventure. Sometimes I'm surprised when I see what comes out on the page or I'll write something in my notebook and I'll come back and read it the next day. And I'm thinking, How did, I, I can't believe I wrote that. It's like a surprise to me too, but that's one of the wonders about writing. And those are the things that I want every child to experience. For me, there's a a big problem that crops up, and that is that teachers are so um, tied up in knots about writing because of their experiences when they were in school, um, and that they need to start writing, and they need to have enough confidence in the writing process to let children write and not interfere all the time with them. So what happens is that it becomes a very difficult thing for teachers to do as far as uh, you know I'm concerned. One of the things I did that I had a lot of success with in, in some schools is at the beginning of the year, we would uh, pick each other's names from a box. All the, all the faculty put their names, science, music, art, whatever. And we drew a name and for half a, a year, we would write letters to each other twice a week, uh, personal letters. And it was, it was terrific. People began to see that to find the right words to say what they were thinking or feeling was a challenge and it took time. And that's why for me, writing is also a problem-solving experience because um, how you see things inside your head, to take them from there and put them on paper to give somebody else that experience, that takes a lot of work and thought and imagination. So, you know, I, I, I think that, um, that we've got to get teachers writing. We really do. Uh, and then if they find that writing is such a great way to express themselves, they will allow the children to have that freedom. Now, in, in the world we live in, um, you know, letter writing is, is gone. I still write letters, and I love to get letters. And I save some of them because they're so rare, you know. But I'm happy with emailing back and forth, you know, as long as kids are writing. 
my preference is that they write by hand and when they get to when they're near the final draft they can put it on the computer there is something about writing by hand that um it is magical is all i can say can i can i ask a question about yeah. that real quick so Pam and I did an episode of Craft and Draft called Paper Still King about this very thing where we, based on our just personal practices, we have found that kids, their, their comprehension of what they're writing, their, their depth of their writing, it just happens so much better when they're messing up drafts in their, right. you know, in their journals on paper and stuff like that. But I had, have had several conversations recently with people who, you know, they see this digital future and they see, you know, well, every kid has Chromebooks now, so let's just push this. Do you see uh, an irrational push to digital stuff when it comes to having kids write? I mean, is uh, what, what do we do? I mean, is it something that we combat? Is it even combatable or is it something that well, will work itself out? Yeah. No, you know, I think... It starts early on, like when when I, I for several years, I trained uh, kindergarten teachers and we did writing workshop and we gave the kids big pieces of paper um, and every day they had about 45 minutes and we would, we would sit in a circle and talk about ideas and they would listen to their classmates and then they would go back and find a space and they would draw a picture and then they would write about it and they did that. Every single day, sometimes they spent two or three days on the picture and, and doing some writing. Sometimes it was all picture and no writing. But what we did was we made these huge portfolios that would this paper would fit in. And, you know, for uh, nine weeks, we kept everything they wrote. And we would sit down every three or four weeks and, you know, look over their writing with them and talk about all the things that we noticed, we wanted them to say what they noticed, but they were using paper. And if you start early with paper and you and you have a writing center with all kinds of paper, paper becomes king. Um, and even, you know, I, I, I can show you that, you know, I, I, the book I've, I've been working on, it was a book about, it was reading and writing. But what I do is I, I keep a, a couple of these and you see... I, I don't know if you can see, but I'm always taking notes and writing and working on something before I put it on the computer. And, and people tell me that's because you were, you know, you were writing before there were computers. And, you know, I, I guess so. But if you ask any writer, at some point, they're working with pencil and paper. Uh, and then they're moving to the computer. So, uh, you know... I think I think that teachers find that the Chromebook with the grammar checks and you know they have now these they, things that can grade papers. I I I find that horrific. I really do. And and I'm very humble. I I can't put a grade on a piece of writing, but I can give feedback and and talk to the writer. So you know, for me, paper is very important, and that's something that if I'm going in and working for you know half a year with a group of kids we negotiate that right up front that they that I'm and I tell them some of the reasons why and I said you know after six or seven weeks if it really bugs you to work with paper and then move to the computer when you're close to your 
I call it a deadline draft because uh, nothing's ever final. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> every time I have to turn a book in, I have a heart attack, you know, because it's that moment of like, will I find something else? Um, and, and kids are good about that if you negotiate with them and, and give them choices and know they can come up and say to me, look, this is not for me, Mrs. Robin. We'll have a conversation and I will let them try the other way. Um, you know, starting with the computer, if that's where they're comfortable. The only thing I require is that they save every draft and they hate that. You know, they want to just like revise and they stick with one thing. I want every draft. I want all the changes on separate paper run off so I can see their process and their thinking. And they can see it too. That's important. But if, if you constantly correct, you never see where you started and where you're going. That's a that's a technique, Laura, that I, I use as well as keeping everything. I'm, I tell them to keep everything. And then when they turned in their final piece, this is pre-computer, but uh, when they turned in their final piece, they would ha- lay all of it and they'd have like this big, huge, thick mm-hmm. piece that's of work. to do it, right. Uh-huh. And then they would go, yes. I didn't know we did all of that. This was fun. And I'm like, see all the work you've done. And so it's just really kind of neat. They'd also keep all their feedback when they would collaborate with others. So I, I agree with you. I think I think that and that's why we did that episode is we started, we kept talking about how the kids, it, it is magical when they get to write and then they get to see the changes. They don't realize it until they experience it. And I think you have yeah. to, you have to take those students through that. Um, Absolutely. And, and, you know, and seeing all that work and seeing where they started and where they came um, mm-hmm. is very exciting. And, you know, if teachers realize that, writing, look how much you're learning, right? You're you're starting out maybe with a, a topic. It might change as you're going along the way. You're doing many drafts. You're looking at different parts of your piece of writing, and you're revising those. And it look at the amount of effort and thinking and problem solving that go into just one piece of writing. But it has to be something the kids want to write about. It cannot be an assigned topic uh, because because the process is so intense and intensive and takes time that unless you're committed to it and it's something you really want to write about, then, you know, why bother? And so I I, want to tell you something interesting. I did this book teaching uh, middle school writers for Heinemann, and I did that survey I was talking about. And in that survey, I I, I surveyed, uh, I think, gosh, uh, okay, two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen different states uh, in the country where I knew teachers, and I wrote to them, and they gave the surveys, and they worked with me through this whole investigative process. And uh, what I found was I had these questions that students, I wanted them to answer, that they hated writing for school. Because writing for school meant that you were given a topic, you had to write it perfectly, uh, you, you got a grade, you didn't have a chance to revise or do any kind of editing or changing, and they really disliked it. But I also found that these children had a secret writing life at home that nobody knew about. And 
they uh, I worked in two two different schools. One was in North Rockland, and when I left after the first two weeks, kids gave me envelopes with poems, with stories, with letters, I, 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 the treasures, and 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 a lot of them are in this book. But you know what I found out was that a high percentage of children had a writing life at home, and they loved it, and nobody knew about it. Uh, Some parents knew, and even one thing, there was this young boy who was special education, and he showed me a book. He, He brought this notebook for me. He was designing car engines they were I I could not understand amazing drawings and then he would write about them and the advantages it it was unbelievable that's writing and and he had a writing life that related to his love of motors and his desire to design his own kind of motor very innovative very creative so, you know, we, we found that, you know, uh, of all, all the students uh, that we, over 1,500 kids we surveyed, that more than half of them had a writing life of their own outside of school. And they never thought of school as a place to write, which says... A lot. And these were middle school kids. These were sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. Um, and that's very sad, don't you think? That, that, that they never looked at school as a place where they could express themselves. Uh, they could be at one with their writing life and, and that it was a life that they wanted to live. Um, and um, it, it was like two separate worlds for them. One of the things I was going to ask you there is, do you think part of that is also they don't see themselves as writers? I mean, they may be writing, but they don't see themselves as writers. These kids saw themselves, um, the kids who were writing um, in several uh, genres, they they would, they loved, all of them loved blogging, but there were some kids that were writing poetry, short stories. One kid was working on a novel. They saw themselves as writers. Um, and they learned how to write from their reading. The books that they loved, most of them were readers, uh, and the books became their mentor texts, uh, which is another way to teach writing. If you are feeling inadequate or, um, you know, you lack confidence to teach writing, use the writing of professional writers. If you want kids to learn how to write a lyric poem, let them look at lyric poems and talk about it and see what poets who write lyrics do, um, how the poem is organized, how, you know, what the topics are that they write about. We 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 need to learn how to do that. So my feeling is we have a lot of professional development in math um, and in reading, but we don't have professional development in process writing. I don't know about your schools, but the schools I work in, there's no professional development in writing. Um, they're buying these canned what I call recipe programs um, and. The question I always ask with those programs in any subject is, 
The person who wrote them doesn't know your children. They don't know who you teach. I don't know who you teach, Jacob. You know. I don't know who you teach, Pam. And, and you don't know who I teach. So a program can't work. It's the teacher who makes everything um, everything work. And so that's really what we have to understand at, at first. And so, you know, some of the things that could happen is why couldn't teachers write at faculty meetings? Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, why can't you use some of that time? Because, because you know, we have this notion that, that you have to learn by, by uh, you know, re- reading an article. But if you have to want to learn how to write, then you sit and write. And you might not start writing the first two or three meetings. And then teachers begin to realize that you can't force the process. Some kids need more time, you know, to kind of get their engines going. And you have to respect that, Um Professional writers are like that as well. So, you know, and, and it's interesting with choices. I, I'm going to tell a story because um, I was uh, teaching uh, sixth grade uh, and eighth grade um, and coaching some teachers. And so this little girl transferred uh, in October from another uh, state, another school to Virginia. And when we were starting writing workshop. Every day, the kids were talking and finding topics, and we had charts, and, you know, they would add to them. I mean, the room was just, like, full of, like, we love writing things. And she came up to me every day for three weeks, and she said, I don't know what to write about. I said, well, let's sit down and talk. No, you don't understand, Mrs. Robb. My teachers always gave me a topic. I need you to give me a topic. And I said, I can't give you a topic because it would be my topic. I want you to find your topic. And I don't know what triggered it, but finally, one day she said, I have an idea. And I said, go for it, you know, <laughs> great. <laughs> you know, I'm thrilled. I'm so happy. But look, look, if we look at that little uh, literacy snapshot. What we see is that when we tell kids, everybody writes about the same thing, here's the topic. You know what the message is? That they don't have stories to tell, or their stories are not worth telling, either one of those two scenarios. And we discourage children from writing, which it just it 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 amazes me, you know. And my grandson, who's eighteen and a senior, for the last two summers, and now with COVID, because he's all uh, virtual, he does a lot of writing with me because he said, "I know how to write all these essays, these structured essays." But he said, "I've never written a poem. I've never written a story." Mm-hmm. Um, and so, <clears throat> we're, he's writing and he's loving it. And, and, you know, and he said, I've been deprived. And it is. It's, it is deprivation. Because how do I know who might end up being a writer and have amazing stories to tell? I don't know that. I can't tell in elementary, middle, or even high school. But I do know that there's this strong desire in people to communicate 
and we snuff it out of kids. We don't let them talk. That's one way of communication. We deprive them of finding their stories and learning about themselves and the world because their stories are our stories as well. You know, there is a common humanity. And, and, and you know, I almost think we take away something from them that is in their deep in their core that is very special that can come out when they write i am so i want to i want to echo one of your stories because i think i think this is important to hit on for listeners because so i had a student who i had last year and i i looped up with my kids this year so i had sixth grade oh that's great i I know what a great year to loop up right So we had so COVID went and then and it's uh, it's almost the exact same kids beat for beat. There I have some new students and some students from uh, they knew I was going up to seventh, so they wanted in my class, so they kind of wedged their way in. But they um, I had this one girl. She was uh, writing. She she wasn't you know she she wasn't the most prolific writer, but she wrote very regularly. She worked through a lot of her ideas and stuff. And then we went digital and then she moved to a different school. So she went and she just came back just like this last week. She came back and she's right back in my room. So it was like, I keep all of my notes on my iPad. So, and I never deleted her name or her uh, notes that I made. So I literally, I walked up to her and I go, look, I get to move your stuff here. So I had all of these notes from us and we sat in our first conference uh, and just looked over. I was like, oh, look, remember when you wrote this? And we had these conversations about just remembering last year. And I had, I take pictures of their writing and keep them in the, in the folder on my iPad. And so we got to look at that stuff and she goes, you know what? She goes, the only time I wrote at this other school this year was when I was responding to reading or answering some type of long form question in reading class. She was like, we never wrote. And you know what she did? It took her four days to write this amazing piece. She was talking about, she just lost someone recently. And so she wrote this piece using the structure of the the stages of grief. So each paragraph was a different stage. And I was like, this is so good. Like how, but what would have happened she might have wrote that on her own, but what would have happened? Like she felt compelled to write that because my classroom is set up in a way that I want them to chase those ideas and write Absolutely. it. Like you said, have that writing life and they love publishing because we put it all, we line my walls right. with their pieces. That's and, so great. But she, this moment though, this, this student who had something to say and might not have ever said it ever in, in writing if it wasn't for this format. I just can't help but like for, for teachers who might not understand, like how important is it? I mean, this is, this is life-changing to give kids this time to use their voice. Absolutely. And, and you know, uh, the, the other thing is that like publishers come in and they, they, they uh, well, can I use a bad word? They okay. bastardize. <laughs> you can you can edit it, the process, and they have like in the week, you know, one week you're going you write a story a week, right? You write two poems a week. It doesn't happen that way, and we have to get used to the fact of just what you're talking about. Today we're to, writing intro sentences, right? <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. It 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 just it boggles my mind, and the idea that um, teachers, you know, they mark up papers. I, I never 
ever write on a student's paper. I use sticky notes, and I have those small ones. Uh, I, I brought a bunch down. Well, I got one here, but... You know, I have this size, the, the little ones, and I'll, I'll put them in the margin and, and ask a question or or make a positive comment. But I, I, you have to show that you respect um, their writing and, and you don't want it with full of, you know, I don't, I, teachers say, but I don't use red so it doesn't look like blood. I, I said, well... Green and purple are just as offensive when they're mar when there's more of that right. on the paper, you know. And you're taking the child's right to work on his or her writing away, and you're doing the work. Um, and, and so it shows, uh, and and so the kids leave, and we're perpetuating th this uh, unless they're lucky enough to have someone like you, Jacob and Pam. We're perpetuating the whole idea that, you know, writing is just a big pain in the butt, and I'm given something I don't want to write about, uh, and I I I I, uh, I refuse to do it. I, you know, I I got a D minus in writing in sixth grade <laughs> because I refused to write to the prompts and. When I was in sixth grade, I lived in New York City uh, on the seventh floor in an apartment house, um, and it was a concrete area. And my dream was to have a horse and ride through the country. And I did. I had a, an imaginary horse whose name was Beacon. And I wrote all kinds of stories about Beacon, and I failed every one of them because I never wrote to the prompt. So the teacher on my report card it was like a thick stock. She wrote and dug in the pencil, needs improvement in writing. And that meant that the improvement meant I should do what she told me to do, write to that topic. And so I erased it, but you could still, you know, see the indentations. I got into so much trouble. I was called to the principal's office <laughs> because... I didn't feel I needed improvement in writing. I was writing away, you know, but but nobody was interested in it. And so that's that's another thing. Like Jacob, when you talk about that child, your face lit up, um, and she saw that, and she saw when you talk to her. All, all of us, we do that. We listen. We're glued into that child. And that child knows that for the, that time and, and as we're going over, they're the most special person in the world. And they can do. They can, they can write beautiful, beautiful pieces that reach deep inside of uh, readers. And that's what we want from our children. And and see the state tests, all that stuff has just destroyed um, writing because people think, you know, you, you give a topic and you just sit down and write. It doesn't work that way. Nobody writes that way. No, no, there's really nothing more intimidating, I think, than the blank page. And when you're telling a student to write about something they know nothing about, it, it's really, it, it is a horrible thing. Um I think personally, I agree with you a hundred percent. But I totally I, agree. But I do think I want to hit on. I mean, the the time you you talked a minute ago, or you brought up you know training teachers in in writing, and I have had experience in that. And 
that takes time. And I think that's why we want something quick and that takes time. So I, I don't know what I was going to say exactly about that, but I just think that that's part of the resistance is, yeah, it, is the time. That, you know, when I look at what we've been through this year, my feeling is this is the time for staff to sit down and have long, hard conversations about where we need to go with teaching children. That everybody doesn't read the same book, that everybody doesn't write the same paper, uh, that we are all different. The teachers are all different, uh, and they're at different places. And and we have to, one of the things we have to look we have to decide is okay we want to teach writing we have to teach writing whatever but we have to learn something about the writing process and it does take time and we have to do it and so if we start out and we do it all year and we begin writing by even letters to people uh, or Another thing I like to ask teachers to do is to little, write little, um, like, vignettes of their students online. You know, like, um, maybe two or three times a week, pick a couple of students and describe them, write about them, look at all the things, their strengths. I, I, I always emphasize the positive. I cannot stand that deficit model. Um, because every child has strengths, just like all of us, we have we have strengths, and we want to build on them. But it, and I think if we if we give time for that, um, instead of all this nonsensical paperwork that we have to fill out, we should do meaningful things. And then I I also think that the pre service um, education has to change. That writing process should be part of uh, becoming a teacher just as not everybody reading the same book but where we have differentiation let everyone pick a different book around a genre a book they can read a book they want to read you know this idea that we take children's rights away it to me it is a right to choose and to learn um and and to make life convenient so that um, we can grade easily, uh, we can uh, keep kids under control because we have too many in a class. We make all these <clears throat> accommodations that don't help the children at all and take away from the teacher growing as a person who supports children. You know, my question is, are we teaching the same thing every year? And some teachers love that. I, I couldn't stand it because you can't do that. You have to teach the children sitting in front of you. And that's something we have to begin to understand. And each of those children are different. They're unique. And they all have souls that can be hurt very easily, just like we can. And, and and I I just I just think that it is hard, Pam. But I, but there's no shortcut. Right. Um, you know, I know that teachers like a lot of teachers. We have a writing project in Northern Virginia, and they'll take a, a six or eight week class in the summer, and they come out changed because all they do is write. 
Um, and so, uh, you know, we could have some summer, uh, you know, <coughs> some things like that. But I think it has to continue. You just, you know, if you do it and then stop, you're going to lose it. You've got to keep writing. The more you write, the better you get, the easier it is to write, uh, the less confrontational that blank piece of paper feels, right. you know, um, and, and so I, it, it, it is something to really be talked about and thought about and, <clears throat> and doing something because it's convenient is not a reason to do anything in my mind. So I do have, well, I have a lot of questions about that, but I do have one uh, specific question from, uh, that, that one thing I've been dealing with. So as a, um, a department chair this year, you know, I've, I was a literacy coach for one year. That's how Pam and I started re- actually working together. Before that, she was just my That's trainer. Great. She was the reason right. I actually knew what I was doing. But, but when I... <laughs> When I was a literacy coach, we worked side by side, and that's when we realized that we had a lot of the same philosophies and read the same people and had the same mission in the classroom. And so as a literacy coach, I had one role. And as a DC, I feel like I have – I feel like I am still – I feel like I'm a literacy leader where I'm trying, you know, to borrow a – Borrow Reggie Routman's, uh, you know, perspective on being a literacy leader in in the classroom and and taking up that leadership role with your team. And one thing that I've realized is I work with one of my teachers. She's a phenomenal uh, reading teacher. She reading workshop is 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 something that she's very comfortable with, and writing is kind of the new side that she she loves and she's embracing. And she has found she's struggled with a couple of these pieces and some of her reactions that she's talked about, and we've talked openly about this with mm-hmm. each other is she feels that natural teacher tendency to almost want to grab hold of the writing workshop and, and make it more system, more system oriented in the sense that today, this is what we're going to kind of do. Yeah. And then, oh, it's messy. It's messy. And and I so, love the messiness. <laughs> so for, for teachers that might be feeling that though, maybe they're jumping in and they're like, oh my, and like they see that messiness. What is, what's your advice for people that, that they might be uncomfortable with that at first? You know, I, one thing that Nancy Atwell recommended, that status of the class, where you have a class list, and, you know, I, I would do it every other day to find out where kids were in the process. And and after about two weeks, when they kind of knew what they wanted to write about, um, we would talk about uh, when do you think... Uh, you know, you'll have a first draft. Let's give an about. Everything can be adjusted. Um, But getting them to think about that as writers. And so we would, I would post possible first draft, uh, try to have it done by. Um, And they had lots of time uh, during class. And that, that was on the board. And we would look at it. Sometimes it didn't work and we had to change it. Sometimes they finished earlier. It, it just depended on what they were doing. But I think what teachers have to, there's no substitute for knowing that kids will not be on the same page. That's why they like, here's a prompt. You got two mm-hmm. days to do it. Done. All right. When you do process writing, kids, some kids are still brainstorming. Other kids are drafting. That They're all over the place uh, be, because they're unique. They're different. They're um, and and first, and it depends on what they're writing about as well. 
So I, I always tell teachers, you just have to get used to it. But there are ways to pull it together, you know, um, and pulling it together by saying, and, and I'm always asking the kids, when do you think you can finish three chapters? When do you think you can, uh, in reading, when do you think you can get a working first draft? Um, and uh, and so to put the responsibility on them and get them thinking about that, um, because it's not a never-ending process. If it is, then you're never going to, you know, have something at the end so and, and I think that that the teacher needs to have conversations about that with the students but up front the teachers need to know look everybody will never be on the same page at the same time doing the same thing which makes you feel very good because that's what you've been trained to think school is about we're talking about 25 kids in a class whose process will take them different places and some need more time, some need less time. It, I think they just have to suck it up, Jacob and Pam, you know, and, and, and I'm not above saying that, you know. He, one of the things I say, I know you're feeling like you're losing it. Uh, and and a lot of people do. I said sometimes I do, even now when I know you know what what the process is. Get over it, because that's the way it works, and and they just have to trust the children. That's hard, right. right? That this is that trust the children thing. This is what I think I've said that at least 400 times in the past several years of just, well, because here's the thing in all honesty, when I started like in, when I started back several years ago, when I first had my first independent reading session, right. It was like, will kids read? And some of them did and some of them didn't. And then eventually the more it happened and the more it became expected that we're readers and we read, they started doing it. And the same thing with writing, we would, kids, you know, would kind of flounder and then eventually it just becomes what you do. And then once you see that process, once you have a moment when workshop comes together and you get a buzz where you get this, you go from kids to kid, table to table and conferring, and you get this massive teacher high of interacting with a million different pieces. You're having all these different conversations. There is nothing like the energy of a room when that happens. And once that happens once, that's like, once it clicked one time, I was like, yes, now, now my whole goal is to just keep that going. And sometimes some days are better than others, but I trust the process that it will always be good at some point. Yes, Absolutely. Um, you have to trust, and you can't be product oriented. You know, it's like uh, you. Know, there came a point when uh, when the school would tell me they have to write two two uh, analytical essays, to, and I and I would look at them and say, you know, no, <laughs> we'll do that in reading class. I'm talking about writing workshop. That's not part of writing workshop. Right. I want them to find what they want to write about, you know, and 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 you're right. Once it clicks, it it seems to to move. You know, it it takes on a different life. But you have to be open to seeing that. 
Um, and, and, um, and you also have to not get hung up on giving grades. Um, you know, I'm, I would give everybody an A. I don't care. You know, I mean, and if they're working hard, they get an A. Every I'm not going to judge that. What? I was saying every training that Pam and I have ever done together or anything, every single time the question is, how do, how you do get we get the grades? Grade? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the grade, it, there's no grade. Grades are meaningless in writing. It's feedback that um, right. the conversations. But And that's another thing that schools have to understand and adapt, okay? We don't, and you know, to grade a child's writing is so destructive. Uh, it, it stays with them. I, I don't care what anyone says, but those, those, those grades, and if they're low, really hurt them. And I know that every time I get a manuscript back, and now I'm getting it on email with track changes, I used to love getting it with a letter from my editor and everything. I, I, my stomach hurts and I'm nervous when I'm opening it, you know, because I'm going to see, which is fine, a lot of suggestions, uh, some of which I, I probably will not do, but um, it's that idea of somebody uh, judging you. And uh, writers are fragile, whether they're young writers in school or they're old dogs like me. <laughs> We we're fragile, you know, mm-hmm. and um and and I just feel that we absolutely have to respect that, um, and not give a grade. And and if I have to give a grade, I I I remember I went through many stages. I would accommodate and give a grade for content, which was always an A. By the time they turned it in, and then. I had to give something for grammar and punctuation. Mm-hmm. And so that was separate. And I did have kids, and I was one of those kids who had a lot of problems with spelling and, uh, and organization, but their ideas were spectacular. And I, and I would tell the kids, nobody turned down a manuscript um, uh, because it had grammatical errors. They turned it down if it didn't say anything. If you didn't you know, if it wasn't powerful enough to affect the person reading it. And so, um, but you don't know those things unless you yourself um, have gone through the process. And you're right, Pam, it does take time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if we did that kind of writing at school all year for a full year, I think we would see a lot of changes. I really do. No, I agree with you. And I think I think uh, some things that hang teachers up, definitely the grades, I think choice. I think sometimes we, I wanted to kind of go back to that because you brought that up. And I think, I think that's where these students get to choose what they want to write about. But there's a certain way to help teachers you know, when we're trying to help teachers get that choice, because sometimes we take choices away while we're giving them a choice. Like we might say, you can write about these five things. So I kind of, how do you get students? I mean, what is your process? Like when you're wanting students to find their own writing, what are some things that you, you do? Well, one of the things I do is I, I like to talk to them 
we just have a conversation and sometimes it might take two or three days until they find a topic. I tell them to write lots of ideas on paper and thoughts in their notebooks and look at it and see what they think. We share, we have always, I have two charts where kids could go up and write about some of the things they're writing about. I said, you know, look at your, look, look at the charts. Does anything speak to you? Because, you know, you, it, it will, if you, and, 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 you know, the kid will say, oh, but so-and-so is doing that. I said, you know, but your story is going to be different because it's your take yes. on that topic. And um, so that, but choice is extraordinarily important. Um, I mean, I've had publishers, I, I, in fact, a couple of years ago, someone said, I want you to write a book on formative assessment. And I said, no, thank you. I said, I do formative assessment. It's not my book. Find somebody who is just dying to write about formative assessment. Not me. <laughs> not I you. integrated into what I do, but I certainly do not believe in, in pulling it out like that. Uh, you know, every child has lived life when even kindergarten kids, they have lots of stories. We we take their stories away when we say, here are five stories, but they're not mine. Right? Mm -hmm. My story is not in one of those five. So what do I do? I write a shitty piece and I turn it in and I get a low grade, right? <laughs> right. Um, and, and, uh, and, and so, and, you know, I've been there because, uh, and the worst, the most egregious <laughs> lesson in this is I remember having a teacher say that the topic was your stamp collection and I raised my hand I don't have a stamp collection I don't know what you're talking about and of course I was sent to the principal's office for being insubordinate having those experiences in my life have shown me how not to be as a reading writing teacher the other thing is I, I tell the kids you know which is why I like reading and writing taught together that you get ideas from what you read look it's like I, I you know I might give them Valerie Wirtz books on small poems I said you can write a poem about a thumbtack uh, you know about the cover on a garbage can you can write about anything as long as it's something that you want to write about and that is makes all the difference in the world because you're going to spend a lot of time with this. So it has to be something you care about and that you want to communicate uh, to other people. But I think we do a really good job of taking children's stories away from them. Mm -hmm. I really do. And, um, and so many of them um, shy away from writing and I don't know they they might have a lot so much to say but we never hear it and we never get it on paper because of the system um, and and the way uh, it works I, and I just I, I find that I find that that Teachers seem to be threatened with giving choice. I mean, choice even in reading. I, I, how could you make a person read a book they don't want to read? And what is that going to do to them as a reader? It, it, it's, it's really similar. And the other thing, 
I like the teacher to teach both is when I teach reading, I do a lot of teaching of genre structure. Because if you know the structure, then you have the wherewithal to write. So if you know how a folktale works or a lyric poem um, or... or um, you know, a narrative poem or a ballad, uh, these are different forms that if they know how they work, they can write in it. So the, once kids choose um, a topic, my next question is, what will that be? What genre will it will it fit in? Is it mm -hmm. going to be a poem? Is it going to be a story? Is it going to be a personal memoir? Uh, <clears throat> but unless, you know, is it going to be a fairy tale or a folk tale? Or, or a myth, an urban myth. Unless you know the genres, you have limited choices mm -hmm. in how you're going to write. So there's a marriage there that is really important. And early on, by the time kids are in third grade, they should have many genres at their fingertips. And we don't do enough of that either. No, we don't. I, I agree. I know that um, Jacob, I, there's some things that he's done that's pretty amazing when it comes to blending the genres. Uh, and so I found when I was working with his students uh, that they were able to do so much more than the teachers next door because of the way they approached it. And I think it's because of that genre that you're talking about. I think it does make a difference. It does. And it's, you know, and again, I come back to trusting the children that if, if they're going to find something that they care about writing, they will write. Mm -hmm. I, and I will tell you a story that's in this book. Um, I was in a teacher's classroom and she gave the kids a topic and three boys turned in a blank piece of paper with their name on it. And they said, we'll take our F. And at the end, she was very upset that they did that. Um, and I had to, to go to another classroom, and I said, I'll meet you in the library after school. So we go to the library, and there's one of those kids who turned in a paper and said, I'll take the F. And he was writing away. Huh. He was blogging. And so when I, I, and I pointed to the teacher. I said, look at him. He's writing. But he's not writing the topic you gave him. <laughs> he's writing what he wants to write about. And, and I said, and you see, there again is my point that for some kids, the desire to communicate through writing is so strong that nothing's going to stop them. They just go underground and they don't do it in school. Um, but I want school to be a place where they can flourish as much as they can and, and even more because I know writing is it's you're by yourself for some time, but in the classroom with other kids, there's so much feedback that you can get mm -hmm. um, about, you know, how do you like, how do you like this uh, lead or what do you think of this title or how does this character strike you, you know, and they're, they're talking to each other and they're learning from each other. But again, it's a messy, slow process. And I think that if you let yourself go, I know for me, I have come to love the messiness and I do not like classes that are very controlled where the kids are compliant 
Um, and, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you something terrible I did as a professional teacher. There was a teacher in my school, I swear, every time you went into her room, everyone was sitting. I mean, they were like little robots and it was dead silent. Mm. So I had to uh, deliver a message to her uh, to give to one of her students. I walk in and the class is like an antiseptic uh, I just felt it was like the kids were like robotic. And so I, I walk into the classroom and the kids are looking at me and there's a big trash can and I kicked it over and all this stuff spilled out and all the kids got up and ran to the trash can to try to put it together. And the teacher was about to cremate me, but, you know, I couldn't stand it. And so I had to disrupt it. And I told her at the after, I said, this is exactly, I did it very much on purpose. I wanted those kids to get up and be human beings um, and not controlled uh, little people that did, you know, were filling in workshop worksheets very carefully. Um, and so um, you have to get used to uh, messiness. It's okay. You know, I, I think Pam and I could... Uh, speak for each other and say that we have been into classrooms like that and feel the exact yes. same way. But we're we're at the hour mark, Laura. I wanted you to give a last little shout out. What's where can people find you if they maybe they've never heard you before and they're they're listeners of Craft and Draft and they have it they don't know where to find you, follow you. How do they stay in contact with your genius? Because we could probably go for another several hours. But yes, for the, for this, <laughs> right? Okay, they, they can uh, they can go on my website lrob.com. They can follow me on Twitter. I'm pretty active at LRobTeacher. Um, and uh, if they're interested in my take on writing, the book is called Teaching Middle School Writers. It was published by Heinemann. Um, and uh, it, it is based on this uh, big survey I did. Uh, and that's what opens the book with, uh, you know, that kids, kids are writers, they want to write. They want to communicate. Um, and we need to let them. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, this has been an episode of Craft yes. and Draft. I hope you enjoyed it <laughs> as much um, as we did. This is a legendary conversation. If you enjoyed is. this episode, hit that subscribe button. Leave a review of the podcast. Go check out Laura's book. She literally has a book for everything you could possibly imagine. <laughs> I got one. I got yes. one sitting on my desk right, right That's now. That's right. So she's she's amazing. Check out all of her stuff. If you love this, come back next Friday. We release a podcast every single Friday, ladies and gentlemen. But until then, know that we are here for you.